0: And hello and welcome to America, Can We Talk? I'm Debbie Georgiades and I'm so grateful you've joined us on our Thursday show today. We're having a little echo here in the studio, I'm sure we'll solve that. I appreciate you tuning in to America, Can We Talk today and every day. Our Thursday shows are always very special because we have a very special, uh, really thought-provoking guest. And and today our guest, uh, who will be joining us via Skype, is someone you've heard of many times and she's been on the show many times, Catherine Engelbrecht. She founded True the Vote. And I want to spend a minute telling you about her background before we bring her on. Because this is someone who, up until the time she happened to volunteer to be a poll watcher. That's how she got started in all of this. She volunteered to be a poll watcher and went to an election, just kind of be a good civic duty person, and realized as she's watching, poll watching at a voting location, this is back, I think, in 2012, she, uh, no, excuse me, 2008, She realized the system was chaotic, it wasn't at all clear that people coming in were actually registered or supposed to be people who were voting. She just saw so many irregularities and really at that time had not been politically active. She and her husband had businesses, they were very successful, uh, kids at home. But she just thought, this doesn't seem right. So she founded an organization way back then, right after the first Obama election. She founded a group briefly called King Street Patriots. And then uh, within a year or so, or less than a year, changed their name to what it is today. It's called True the Vote, True the Vote. And what they've tried to do since that time is essentially to bring attention to voters and to elected officials in the state and national level of the shortcomings or challenges within our elections. So she has worked to lobby for all sorts of changes in law. She's also recently been been, um, active in researching how exactly some elections seem to go so awry. So she has a, she has a now a, a very significant organization, True the Vote. Uh, they monitor elections. They actually help to represent people who are being um, mis- abused by the election system in a variety of ways. She has led investigations into all sorts of uh, apparent election fraud. And what we're mostly gonna talk about today with her is how she and Greg, her um, now her kind of main uh, partner she works with, um, uncovered something related to a company, a corporation, uh, doing business in America called CONIC. K-O-N-N-E-C-H, conic And as they're looking into how exactly election uh, shortcomings or wrongdoing occurred, they came across this com- this company called Conic. We'll mostly be talking about them and their connection to China. And also the other, uh, they're just an amazing organization. She has been relentless. And the other thing I'll quickly say before we bring her on is, if you remember, she was the one back early on that was complaining about the I'm not complaining, it's a bad way to say it. She was calling to the attention of the public the way the Obama administration was mistreating people who were filing for want to have what you know nonprofits are entitled to have. They get IRS, they get a C three or a C4 designation, they get a tax-free designation. But her organization, because they were calling attention to so many wrong, so much wrongdoing, so many really nefarious actions in the world of election, they got special attention from many federal agencies coming down on her, her business, businesses she had with her husband. So uh, she has fought the fought uh, on behalf of election integrity and really just standing up for the everyday voter. Um, they are, in 2009, she founded King Street Patriots. 2013, they initiated a lawsuit against the IRS, uh, which resulted eventually her testifying in Congress. She is a very, very brave person. Uh, there's so much more to tell you about her background, uh, but I think at this point we have her, bring we'll bring on, please, Katherine Engelbrecht. And there she is. Hi, Katherine.
1: Hey, Debbie. Thanks for having me.
0: Good to see you. I'm going to turn my chair a little more so I can see you well. Uh, first of all, thank you for joining. I was kind of giving a background. I realized, even getting ready for today's interview, how much you have done in just a relatively short number of years. I mean, you weren't really a political activist until you went to do the famous poll watching way back in 2008. And here we are today in 2023. You, you head up an enormously consequential organization, True the Vote. You're out there fighting every day um, for, really, for the vote to be fair and honest in America. And you've done uh, so many amazing things that I, um, I just really commend you for all that you do. So let's just start with this. Um, I looked at your website today, and you're talking a lot about CONIC. There's information about CONIC and the ongoing litigation. Take us back to early 2021 when you and I believe Greg Phillips unearthed information about what Connick was doing with election data. Can you share that to start with?
1: Sure, well, it started because we were, um, and I have long been, uh, let, me start, let, me, let me start even further back than that, I have long been concerned about the uh, prevalence of software's being used in our, in our state databases and in county databases that don't necessarily come to uh, standards around security and um, now I'll just leave it at that, security and, and, and compliance standards like, there, and there are many at the federal level that relative to elections must be followed as a, as a matter of law that, that, that don't seem to comport with what's actually being used locally or even at the state level uh, for management of elections. With that said, we had been, this true the vote, had been doing open records requests to understand more fully the types of softwares that were being used and came across uh, Conic as one of those software providers. Uh, in, in, the, in, in just a few months after we began looking, we were notified, Greg specifically, was notified by uh, someone that he had uh, worked with in the past on research that that this person had come across what appeared to be a trove of data in china that was related to election american election workers and american elections broadly um greg went and looked at that data recognized that yes this appears to be a national security exposure and reported it to the Federal Bureau of Investigation. That data was then transferred to the Bureau. And for the next approximately 16 months, we worked uh, in a confidential status with the FBI in what we believed was the advancement of the case against, as you say, the, the company Conic, which was um, headquartered in Michigan, although had deep, China, uh, deep Chinese ties. And uh, that, that began, you know, of all the odysseys we've been uh, involved in over this decade plus, uh, Connick is at the top of the top of the list for sure. And that's how it started.
0: Okay, on the subject of conic to be really clear for our listeners, you or, or the information you came across—sorry, we're getting an echo in the room. I'm sure he's fixing it. Uh, the information you came across was that information related to American election workers, American people who would. Uh, have the goodness of their heart volunteer and work in the election system, or some of them may be paid people too. Was sitting on a server in Wuhan, China, and that obviously should never be the case. And the company who was supposed to be in charge of that software was Conic, and so I'm moving forward now. So you let the FBI know, and well, I'm going to leave the FBI out of that mostly of this mostly today. It moved for we, I think we were over this territory last time you were on, but. So, you eventually Connick became aware of what you were saying about this, about the, the software. And what in the just, I can't even think of a good word, just an astonishing level of audacity Connick sued you, sued to the vote, and you and Greg Phillips for defamation over your claims that Connick was storing information in this China server. Is that accurate?
1: That's accurate with one um, addition. They also accused us of having hacked into their systems and 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 that is how it, they, their argument is that that's how the, the data was um revealed which of course is not accurate but that's what their that their suit uh, uh contends
0: okay we are just going to have to try we're trying to fuss with our sound here a little bit okay um, okay, so so Conic sued you. Which I, before I get into the, all the details about Conic suing you, they allege, because I went back and read some of the uh, articles and pleadings, they allege that the reason you were going after them, reason you were exposing Conic to the public, was because of racism. Which I truly, you know, I'm just I'm telling you of all. <laughs> The audience is laughing. That's good. But I mean, the, the notion that instead of responding in substance or saying you got wrong information, they went to that issue that makes a lot of people flinch. They said, well, I don't want to be accused of that, which was patently absurd. I mean, just patently absurd. And I, I want to um, get to something else about litigation in a moment. But they went to the issue saying that, you, that this was false and that you, were, you had defamed them. And defamation, to be clear, means you have to. If you're saying what, if what you're saying is true, is not defamation. But anyway, they went after you, and shortly after that, the um, head of the organization, Eugene Yu, was arrested, and that was in October. This is all last year, this past year, arrested in October. But it was the Los Angeles DA who had Eugene Yu arrested in Michigan, and how how did that work? Why was it the Los Angeles DA?
1: so um Conic provided election services for Los Angeles County, which incidentally is the largest voting block in the country and it had been brought to the attention of Los Angeles that the data exposed in in uh, in China included their data and so after an exhaustive investigation on their part, they received authorization to um, seize equipment, to effectively to raid the offices of Conic in Michigan, and of course you can imagine the level of coordination that that takes between states and between agencies to accomplish, and it was accomplished in swift order. They seized electronic devices of all manner and in in, in very extensive scope, and then issued the uh, the indictment for Eugene Yu. Who was uh, temporarily um, arrested and then later um, released on uh, bond, and now and then ultimately the charges were dropped entirely, which we can get into. It's it's not a an admission of, uh, of of Los Angeles counties that they don't they they don't find fault. In fact, it's quite the opposite. There was so much evidence, and and with a hearing deadline pressing, they were not able to catalog everything. And so they've continued to delay uh, the hearing. And, and in so doing, they dropped the charges until they were able to catalog all the evidence. We'll see what the future holds, but it's it's far from over. That's how LA got involved, though.
0: Yeah. So LA went after him because the data in part that was sitting in a China server, a Wuhan server, was of Los Angeles workers, Los Angeles election workers. And you know, that little glitch, because I think they got a little benefit out of it, that little glitch that they had to temporarily drop the charges without prejudice to bring them again, but because they couldn't assemble with a massive amount of data they had to assemble, they had to let it go. But he's, he's still, he's not uh, free and clear yet. They're just waiting until all that's assembled. But I'm, part of why I want to go over all this to get around to what I want to say about China is, all along the way, there has been no one refuting, I mean, I'm sure they issued denials but the underlying fact that election data is sitting on a server in China has not been refuted or disproven. And yet they come after you for defamation. Uh, he gets arrested and, and is, um, I, I wanna get to what, what he did next. So, he, so they, they sue you for defamation. And then shortly after that, even after, so he's been arrested and information's been seized. So he knows the government has everything, whatever they had in that information, all of the seizure of documents and electronics the government has, and yet they still went forward and filed a lawsuit over this as though it was, you know, just, I mean, it, the audacity or just the plunging is like that saying about lie after lie after lie, well, just don't give an inch, keep denying it. It's truly amazing. I want to get around to what happened in the Texas courts very briefly, just to say what, when we're watching the opposition to getting to the truth about elections, part of what happened happened unfolded right here uh, in Texas, in the courts here, where we had the defamation lawsuits filed. You're still in your position where you have not yet even filed the, the, all the responses you can under Rule 12, all the, everything you could file. And the court came after you uh, and, and basically uh, ordered you to, to divulge a source you didn't want to divulge. Correct. That's all correct, right? Correct. Yeah. So you get to that point where, I mean, the judge was taking the side, was literally taking, the, it was in fact, the, the appellate court ruling was really, really powerful on this point. But you're saying that you haven't even responded yet, and you're told, I don't want to discuss the jail part much, except to say you and Greg are put in jail for over a week for not divulging a source. Even before you had a chance to answer the complaint, I mean, was the whole feel of the courtroom just like this judge is just not happy with you and with true the vote? Was that the feel? Uh,
1: very much so. Um, you know, and it started. Interestingly, the timeline shaped out even more, even more shockingly. Um, the the plaintiff, as as nearly as we can figure out, according to dates on documents, the plaintiff. On the day that they uh, filed the lawsuit, uh, on the very same day, they had opportunity to um, communicate with the judge. And the judge issued what's called an ex parte TRO, meaning only one party was present in filing and in in the judge uh, agreeing to file uh, against us a temporary restraining order. So I literally read about this online and had no idea that any of it had happened. And it happened in in what appears to be, you know, a 24-hour period, which is which is quite unheard of. But nonetheless, it, it happened. And it set in motion a series of events because a a and this ex parte TRO had already been entered. The judge had really already made his mind up. And um and because it involved technology, that, that's added a layer of complexity to the arguments that had already been shaped and shaded uh, inaccurately. So it, it's just been a very, very difficult situation. But now, as you, as you well know, that judge has since recused himself, and we are in the court of a new judge that seems to be um, far more um, level and we're just we're looking forward to to being heard fully
0: yeah i love that i will say among all the uh, because you've been involved in a lot of litigation uh to the vote has and i want to talk about more of that but this was actually one of the great vindications of this this ruling by the fifth circuit i, I believe i read it out loud in my show that day that it came out because it was so entertaining i, I am mean, a lawyer by background because what the appellate court was saying was this judge was essentially ordering you to do things asking questions order you to do things, acting as though he was the lawyer for Connick. The, I mean, he was acting on behalf of Connick instead of, as the court, as a judge should be, neutral and letting the parties be litigators. And it really struck me how much the uh, mentality has permeated so much in society that people in authority feel like the the higher position to take is that we don't want to talk about election fraud. We don't give it validity. We just, I mean, this judge, who was actually a a Republican appointed judge, a federal judge, he acted as though he was pushing for Connick. The one line that was so entertaining, there were several of them, but he had one of them. Um, He talked about the district court used a temporary restraining order, a preliminary injunction, and a civil... Contempt order to litigate the case on Connick's behalf. I mean, that's really a very strong slam by the uh, federal court of appeals. They didn't mince words. They basically told him he was completely out of line, um, which I, I was a good victory because I think that all of this, all of the litigation I'm aware of that arises out of the concerns about election fraud, most people are finding the courts just don't want to go there. They don't want to hear it. They other cases have been filed, and the courts find a procedural reason to dismiss it. So this is a really good signal from the Fifth Court, Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, saying that we, you, you know, to the judge, you can't really litigate this. So okay, so you moved on. Uh, I mean, I just I found all that sequence um, truly, truly breathtaking. I love the Fifth Circuit. They vacated his contempt order, um, ordered you free, ordered you guys free. So then here you are. You're moving forward uh, in this conic litigation, and. The litigate, the other victory you got recently relates to trying to hold on to the evidence that Conic that was seized from Eugene Yu's company Conic, and I guess held in L.A. in Los Angeles. So I, I love just have just tell our listeners about that uh, order you j- recently won.
1: Right. Well, so there is so much evidence that that L.A. County has had a challenge in getting it all properly inventoried, and so it's delayed led to many delays, month upon month upon month of delays. And it felt as though in these last few extensions in L.A. County that it was possible that the court may, in fact, decide to give the, the evidence or give the, the, the dr- devices back into Conex possession. And it had been our experience across many fronts that they were not at all shy about destroying evidence. And, and in our filing uh, to the Houston Federal Court, we make very clear on with, with affidavits and supporting documentation, in fact, how Connick has destroyed evidence to this point. And so our, our pleading, our emergency motion to the court was, please make, it, make, a, make, a, mo- make a statement, make a, a judgment, clearly indicating that Connick is not, if they do receive these devices back into their possession, that they cannot destroy them. And that emergency motion was granted. And um, now it, it will be in some way communicated to the Los Angeles County Court. And all of that's happening here over these next few days. The, the next hearing is scheduled between Los Angeles County and Eugene Yu. That's the that's the styling of that lawsuit, Eugene Yu being, of course, the, the CEO of Connick. Um, that's, that's scheduled for March the 13th. So next week, we will see what the outcome was um, of, of, well, maybe of the decision of the court. It could certainly be extended again. But our, our greater concern was just that it would be preserved and that we would then have the opportunity to in, uh, investigate and to look at the evidence as as we know it exists. Um, and one of our uh, affidavits provided in, in the brief was of one of the forensic um, investigators that had been called in, and, and they provided a full inventory list of every that had been taken, so we now know what we're looking for.
0: It was just excellent, and actually, you know, it's a really interesting thing you're talking about how because people are really interested in having election integrity and very involved in various aspects of trying to fight for it. One point they make, which I think is just irrefutable and very valid, everything about our election system should be transparent. It shouldn't be, especially that a private company can hold on to election data, or in this case, information about election workers, and in this case, sent over to China living in a, and and the American people, especially the people involved in the election system, have no access to review it. When you think about the importance of what the election, everyone involved in the election process, They are all playing a part in holding on to election integrity. If Connick could even conceivably be deciding, if I get that data back, if I get whatever information I can get back from the LA courts, and I could possibly erase it, delete it, change it, whatever they could do, I mean, it, it makes it impossible for Americans to have the transparency needed I mean, if any private company can do that. I mean, I just, I was struck by that argument because I'm hearing over and over now, our elections have to be transparent. If you have somebody like Connick who could destroy things, they're making it impossible to be transparent. Even they're hiding it from you or others is an indication. They don't think they should have to be transparent.
1: I absolutely agree. Uh, you know, certainly the, the privacy of, of, of who a voter chooses to vote for should be protected. But the process, the administration of elections, that should, that should be as transparent as possible.
0: Absolutely. Also, I thought it was interesting. You have a whistleblower now. You have a whistleblower from inside Conic who's now left, and I'd love you to tell his story. Grant Bradley, I read his pleadings this morning. Grant Bradley, former employee, um, and actually I'll I will not spoil the story. Why don't you tell our listeners what Grant Bradley has to say about what occurred inside Conic?
1: Well, interestingly, Grant Bradley was a, as you say, was a, a an employee of Conics. And after he read of of the Comments that myself and Greg Phillips were making about Connick, his then employer, he began to do a little digging on his own and concluded that in fact we were accurate, we were correct. And when he brought this information for the time and the timing of it, all of this happened in such rapid fire. But uh, him bringing this information to Eugene Yu himself and confronting him about it, uh, Eugene Yu indicating that the proper course of action was to. Um, deny, 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 uh, don't be helpful, don't be helpful in any in any way when the authorities showed, showed up. And um, ultimately, uh, Grant decided to do just the opposite and to be very helpful to the authorities and thank gracious for that. But in so doing, he was fired and now has a, a lawsuit filed against Connick for wrongful termination and, um, and is very forthcoming in what Connick was really doing, and that is that they were um, developing, maintaining um, and observing all manner of election processes all in China. The developers are in china the The process itself the the software itself is all being worked from china and and it 's very important to note that in in Chinese in the country of china let me say it this way in the country of china any data that is held in country becomes the property of the chinese government that is that is step 1 in understanding just how dangerous this situation is because it there is no question that 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 is Happening not just with this election data, but broadly across all manner of data that's that's being um, stored in country, and certainly in the case of elections, it's it's all the more troubling. Absolutely. In fact, I recently, on the show a couple weeks
0: ago, had a China expert on who was reviewing the three uh, laws in China passed in pretty close succession. I think it was in 2017, 18, and 19. But anybody, any. Chinese citizen or Chinese company doing business, you simply must share anything see with the CCP that they ask you for. So this is an acknowledgment, putting those two things together, that all this voter information, including where they live and families and addresses and social security numbers, all that information is now in the hands of the CCP. And I mean, the, the connection there is, is really alarming. This Grant Bradley, uh, also I love that he helps the court Paint a picture of what it's like inside Connick because he's saying, I was told you're supposed to lie about this, misrepresent this, don't ever admit this. And he really had the character just to say, I'm not going to do that. So it's a, I mean, whistleblowers are, are, are really important people in cases like this. Okay, I want to turn to the China element, and I have to tell you, I found two things. Uh, on China that were just kind of amazing. So Eugene Yu, who is still, I guess, still the president of Konnic, correct? Is he still the president? Not been fired? I okay. believe so, yes. Okay, um, well, part of what the uh, defense coming out of his, the representatives of, um, of Conic, uh, this the company spokesman said, is that Eugene Yu has, in his words, I will state clearly and unequivocally, neither Eugene Yu nor Connick are in any way associated with the Chinese Communist Party. This is a statement by uh, Mr. I think it's Jay Goldberg, who is a company spokesman. And another data point about Eugene Yu, what a character he is, he actually was accepted into the Chinese Academy of Sciences Um Hinhua Science and Technology Park is called the Park. In 2006, the Chinese government has financed, developed, and controlled that entity, the Park, ever since. So he is Eugene Yu Jingyu, contractually obligated to follow the laws of the People's Republic of China and the rules of the Park. In exchange, they provided Eugene Yu Jingyu with money, software, and success beyond his wildest dreams. So he's still here in America. His company representative is telling the public, we have nothing to do with China or the CCP or the communists. I don't know what you're talking about. And yet, Eugene Yu is that integrally involved with the CCP. So does that impact the way he carries on this company, in your view?
1: Uh, a- absolutely. Um, it's, he's, he's, he's intimately involved with the goings on in China.
0: It's staggering. I find it staggering. In fact, there's, this might be a good moment to do it. Um, i think I'll wait two more minutes till our radio listeners are back. They're on a little break right now. But I think this whole question about China's role uh, in America, I mentioned we had a China expert in the show a few weeks ago, and, and he was talking about the many ways in which China has invaded America through Confucius Institutes, Um, ideologically uh, um, views itself to be at war with America. China says that, has said that for decades. They think of themselves at war with America, and they work very hard to infiltrate our uh, government systems. We have people in government who are compromised by China. They're on a mission to really, um, ultimately, as many China experts will say, to to become the world's single superpower to replace America. <clears throat> so Chinese aggression in America is not just uh, a national competition. It really is um, part and part. It, it is a law. Everything they do here has to do with their ultimate goal to become uh, dominant over America. So do you see, did you have a sense yet of what you're looking at? Is, is this part of the effort that China is doing in America, this, how they're getting involved with our election process? Do you see that? Do you, a-
1: a- a- absolutely. I mean, Conic didn't start with, with election software. They started with software used in public schools, then extended into the military, and now elections. So this is a very concerted effort, very broad in scope, and um, it's, it's breathtaking. It's breathtaking how... how how
0: wide this is it is i I tell you Catherine. i go i go back to that how can some judge a federal district court judge sitting in houston recognizing who eugene Yu is hugh connick is and yet he's more concerned about whether or not you may have defamed them than what the heck china's doing to america i i find that staggering just staggering that isn't really a question but i I do i'm kind of feel like i'm continually shocked by the degree to which China is penetrating and the obliviousness, at the least, of, um, of our judges. OK, I want to wait till okay, our radio listeners are back. There is a clip that played, a video that's on the beginning of your website. I, and thank you for sending the link to it, because I couldn't make it play again. But this actually relates to China and America and our election system. If you can play that, please, Mr. Emilio. Do we have that? What is your number one? objective what we have to do is drain the swamp in washington d.c until we drain the swamp and bring integrity to the political process we won't be able to go forward it's a big dirty swamp it's a big dirty swamp the ccp has long been able to influence u.s politics and has historically tried to co-opt both republican and democrat leaders china is one of the freest societies in the world
1: this time around ccp made no secret of its preference what
0: did what they said is china would prefer joe biden the rising china is a positive development they're not bad folks folks they're they're, they're not competition for us right under our noses china backed american communists from liberation road the communist party usa Left Roots and San Francisco-based Chinese Progressive Association, or CPA, worked together to defeat the CCP's most feared enemy. We can't continue to allow China to rape our country. No administration has been tougher on China than this administration. China's market distortions cannot be tolerated. In contrast, Joe Biden's entire career has been a gift to the Chinese Communist Party.
1: The scheme here is to prevent the people from deciding who their president is. They were so happy to see a rigged election. I mean, isn't that how it is in a communist regime? A terrorist attack on the U.S. cap by the MAGA terrorists. MAGA terrorist. Terrorists. Terrorists. Trump terrorists. Domestic. Terrorists. Domestic terrorists. Domestic terrorists.
0: Rudy Ray
1: agents seized Giuliani's electronic devices. Four Trump aides who were hit with subpoenas have a deadline of this Thursday to comply. We'll do criminal referral. Former Trump advisor Steve Bannon has been indicted by a grand the jury. The Justice
0: Department has received a criminal contempt referral for Mark Meadows. They intercepted me getting on the plane. And then they put me in handcuffs, put me in leg irons.
1: The FBI raided former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago. Home. Are you kidding me? No, no one ever the, sent the FBI into the home of a former president. Unprecedented. 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 Dictatorship. Dictatorship of the state. German and Stasi. Soviet Union. A Bolshevik. Communist takeover. A thirsty radical communists. An American KGB. They're
0: not just coming for Donald Trump,
1: they're coming for you, they're coming for me.
0: Catherine, that is an awesome video. Great, great video. Great, just a great job. And you know, actually, I will say, when you started out with True the Vote back in 2008, and you're just at that point, or 2009, just looking at election processes and how do we be sure the ballots are secure and how do we be sure the voter rolls are accurate, you have launched into really the primary issue facing America's future freedom or not, which is China's control, attempted to control over America. It's quite a staggering uh, leap you've made in 15. It really is, it's quite amazing.
1: Well, I, I really feel like the things that we've been through year after year, You know, I, I, prior to starting True the Vote, I'd never been in court. Uh, since starting True the Vote, I've never been out of court. We're currently involved in six lawsuits. Uh, we are very clearly over the target. And I feel like the journey to this point as challenging as it ha- has been, um, has been intentional uh, because it has steeled us for what lies ahead. And, and I think our, our greatest challenges are still ahead of us, but we are strong enough and they have to be, they, these, these are battles that have to be fought. And so we're honored to be able to to stand and fight. And you're you're exactly right debbie there is there really this is the cornerstone if we lose our voice as as voters then everything else quickly slides away
0: absolutely right Okay, so um, I do want I will keep watching the progress of this litigation um, with Connick suing you and all that's going on there. That's that's still ongoing in federal court. I do want to shift to some other things that your organization is doing through the vote. Um, one is and I want to just ask your opinion, there's been a lot of discussion recently about whether or not uh, because the left uh, or people, mainly the left seems uh engage in ballot harvesting, and the idea that, you know, if we're gonna have massive ballots sent out, if we can't control that Why don't we on the right say, okay, fine. If they're going to ballot harvest, we're going to ballot harvest. And that was actually an op-ed or a a column uh, in the Washington, uh, the Wall Street Journal by president Trump saying, or about him, just saying it's time to do it. What's your thought on that? Should we just go ahead and ballot harvest just like they do? Well,
1: I I respectfully disagree uh, with that position. I, I don't think that we should be engaged in ballot harvesting. And when I say we, uh, it's important to recognize that through the Vote is a nonpartisan organization, so I want to put a proper framing around that, but it can't be denied that you have uh, Democrats engaging in ballot harvesting and now Republicans uh, seeming to, to indicate that that's going to be their strategy to go into 2024. As a practical matter, I, it, w- it won't work um, for this reason. The Democrats, for generations, have walked in community with their constituents and have developed a, a, a process, a, a, an, an acceptance, um, a standard operating procedure around going to select communities and picking up ballots. I don't think that that same dynamic Exists on the right. I certainly can say that the that the right uh, has not engaged in walking in community with its constituents. Um, The left is pervasive in our culture. The right is not. Uh, The right has, in my opinion, relied upon the fact that America, for a long time, has been sort of a center right country, and so they just get the benefit of, of of. the vote that generally breaks their way, uh, because of the, the, the shared values that for a long time, our country held to about uh, the, the belief in the opportunity that America provided, the, the shared goal for the future of this country. But over these last few years, that cultural fabric has really been ripped, ripped apart. And so I think it is essential that that the right begin to follow in in to some degree the, the 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 footsteps of where the the left has made such progress and that is walk in the lives of of the people whose vote you are courting uh be be there when they want that stop sign put up on the corner in their neighborhood you know, be there in in special interest organizations that are really focused in and and working not not just to advance an issue, but to make sure that that those same people that they're messaging to are registered to vote and then are voting. Um, the, The left comes together in force during election time and all of those special interest groups focus on one thing and that is getting the vote out. The right doesn't have any such organization effort and so that alone I think will, would prevent a successful execution of ballot harvesting because there's just, there's just not the network in place. Um, but beyond that, I think that the, the spirit of the right of center voter is not gonna be one that's going to be quickly willing to cede their ballot to someone. They're going to want to vote it themselves. I think that time would be much better spent by, by the right in looking at uh, who they can mo- don't you know, don't try to mobilize the, the, the ones that, that, that they can count on but go and and reach out to those sections of the community that maybe they haven't messaged to in a while and encourage them and be a part of, of what they're going through because the message of love wins but you have to make the message you can't take it for granted and so time will tell. You know, I'm not part of the Republican Party. I, I don't have any sway with them. I, you know, My opinion matters very little, I'm sure. But I, I absolutely disagree that uh, attempting to ballot harvest is going to give them re- the results they think. I, I, I don't see it happening.
0: You know, it's an amazing thing, too. We use the term ballot harvesting. I probably didn't ask the question well because, you know, it's one thing to say that you would massively mail out ballots where where no one had requested one. It's different if you have a, you know, you've requested a ballot because you know your relative is invalid or you know you're going to be off, you know, out of the country due to military service. So it's a requested ballot sent to you. But the mail-in ballot process, the ballot harvesting happened in combination with the massive mailing out of ballots, many people they made little postings about it on Facebook. Look, I got five at my house. and just massive over-mailing, and inherent in that mail-in ballot process, as was in 2000 Mules, the film that you, that Dinesha Susan made with your uh, your input and Greg Phillips' input, it really seemed to feature knowingly gathering many ballots with no clear idea to whom they were tied it was just ballots out there available and, and, and turned in and anything that convinces any voter of either political party to think the best way to win is to cheat you know, through ballot harvesting just gather a bunch of ballots and get them in there you really are just destroying the integrity of the whole system then it's not a ballot at all it's who can who can collect more stray ballots someplace and get them filled out and shove them in a box. So if you were designing, I do want to talk about Eric before I get too far, but so if you were designing a system, if you got to be in charge of that, would, we, would you pretty much try to eliminate, uh, would you go for just paper ballots only? Would you go for day of voting? Would, what were the, main, the key features you would do if you got to design the election system?
1: Well, well the very first thing I would do Far none is get the voter rolls accurate, and we know that leads into talking about Eric. But I mean, that's that is absolutely step number one in moving back to a, a process with integrity is is having a good data set. Um, then you look at the process itself, and there are you know this is death by a thousand cuts. There's any number of things I could point to that I think need to be improved, but certainly with respect to mail ballots. I think that you need to have a reason to request a mail ballot. I think that that should be the exception and not the rule. I think that this slide towards a, an all-mail ballot, it's, 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 it's frankly, it's so remarkable because the, the rest of the world recognizes the countries around the world have, have experimented with mail ballots and are quick to say it is the least secure way to cast your vote. And in fact, the United Nations doesn't even recognize elections that are conducted via mail only. And yet that is the direction that that we are being pushed as an electorate. So that needs to stop. And we need to reinforce the the consequence, the celebration, the the pride of Election Day that we should all enjoy as Americans. I, I believe that it should be a national holiday. I believe it should be a red letter day on our calendars. Now, that, that said, our, our current infrastructure doesn't support a mass turnout on election day as we have seen at Maricopa County is a fine example. Uh, suddenly all the printers break and, and people that are there only to vote on election day are turned away. And so we'll have to manage through that. I do believe that a shorter window of voting is 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 necessary. We have certain states that vote for a month before election day. I think that's that's outrageous, but it's not going to happen overnight. I think that you know a better processes and more confidence in the elect by the electorate or or that the electorate can can feel in the process will will lend itself to a natural desire to move to a more efficient process which would be a, a shorter window but all of this has to you know as i often say we're going to get we're going to get well the same way we got sick and that's over time it, it's going to take time uh, i do believe that uh, a, a combination of encrypted and secure paper ballots uh, with with transparent processes for counting those ballots is essential and i believe that adherence to law is is paramount to it all you know in 2020 the the go-to word in my opinion was was just lawlessness just you just don't want to follow the don't do it you don't want to follow the law don't do it who's going to make you do it and and we've got to decide as a country as as uncomfortable as it may be that it's not okay to cut corners with elections the law is the law if you don't like the law then the law should be changed but as it stands where there are where there are crimes being committed, they should be prosecuted. And, you know, we've just things have slid for so long that there are going to be some uh, hard battles ahead. But but they have to be waged. They, it, there's just no way around it. We've, we've got to preserve our process.
0: Yeah. You know, um i had a bunch of other topics we do i think i mentioned in my notes you we have our audience uh, we offer them the opportunity to ask questions toward the end and we're about ready to do that but i do want to ask you um you know this idea of the perfect process i agree we cannot overnight say you know starting starting next week day of voting only we're going to change everything it's really but you can have as a goal you know, to reduce voting periods. I think getting even to common ground about reducing the length of of voting period, encouraging voting in smaller precincts, and encouraging uh, day of voting, and and all these things, you can make them goals, and you're not going to get there instantaneously, but you're starting to plant the seeds in public thought. This is the right way to do it, you know, even though you're you're very wise in all your observations about uh, it can't happen overnight. Okay, I did want to talk about Eric. Which is, uh, for I'm sure, our people know, but it stands for Electronic Registration and Information Center. And um, there was a. Um, it, it's essentially the idea that this entity w- that was created volunteers to help keep track of data. So if someone were registered in Texas, where I am, and then I moved to Arizona, this system would keep track and have Arizona once my Arizona voter registry. Became obvious. I guess it would notify Texas, and so it seems like a very noble purpose. But there are a lot of people very concerned about Eric. Do you, do you can you talk about that? Why is
1: that? Uh, sure. It's a it's known as a highly partisan organization funded by highly partisan organizations, and the rules around participation in Eric uh, su- suggest that. Uh, it's a it's very much a one way road with data being sent to Eric, but very little visibility as to what Eric does with that data. Post it's being provided by the state. Just um, to, to step back half a half a step and and define what Eric gets from the states, it goes well beyond just the voter rolls. And and Eric, mind you, is is organized as a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is the same. Organization structure that through the Vote shares, so we are we are equal in that respect. However, Eric has found a way to to create a membership for for member states, and then through that membership, part of the process becomes that the state will share full voter roll access, full. Department of Motor Vehicle Access, and full access to any data element that may come through the National Voter Registration Act. And the reason that that is significant is that in that piece of legislation, the federal government required that voter registration applications be attached to any social service program uh, that may be applied for. So the Affordable Care Act or Um, food stamps or welfare or social security and so in keeping with that logic all of that data is available to ERIC and and while it is true that what they promised to return to the state uh, one of the um, uh, deliverables on the service that they uh, ostensibly provide is that they compare across states and then they let the state let each state notice uh, they notify them of where they find um, more than what appears to be the same person registered in more than one state, the the um, the overwhelming sort of sucking sound of data coming out of the state into this partisan organization is breathtaking. There is no way, there is no way. I'll just leave it at that. That that True the Vote would ever get anything close to that level of, of data availability. Uh, and, and trust me when I tell you, we have asked, and it's, it's, it's only for ERIC. And ERIC's rules make it very, very clear that once that data is shared with ERIC, that it cannot be shared with anyone else, with any other organization. It's no longer available for even elements that were uh, previous to being provided to ERIC may have been eligible for open records review. Once it's shared with ERIC, Anything that Eric shares back with the state is not open for open records so there's 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 so many things that are wrong with this process, but I think the biggest among them all is that it is the only um, recognized service out there that is providing a any level of of voter roll maintenance and it's was providing it for for thirty two states and of of late now five states have Pulled out of Eric. We'll see if that's, uh, you know, if that's going to start a, a a stampede out. I hope. But then the question becomes, what will the states use? And, and I hope that they're going to be looking to solutions in private industry that that are well regulated and transparent and comport with federal guidelines and standards for security uh, around the the data itself. Uh, but we shall see. Um, it's. It's a very troubling situation, has been for some time, but it it looks like now with uh, just recently this Monday, Missouri, West Virginia and Florida uh, sent letters to Eric saying that they were withdrawing. And and that bodes very well um, because now it it appears that there will be uh, some new thought given to just the blanket sharing with Eric, which is there's just no no good side of that. Love that. I will say on
0: the idea, and broadly speaking in America, people are more tired of having more and more information hoovered up, more information centrally owned and controlled. And you feel like you never really can take a movement in America today without some entity of the government's watching, keeping track, where does she go shopping? What? And And I think this idea of Eric, the concept of trying to of having some capacity to be sure when someone moves that you are now they're registered here so they should be unregistered here it's a great thing in, in um, concept or in the abstract but yes you describe it hoovers up a bunch of information uh much of which uh, doesn't really have any good need for and if it were working really well we wouldn't have the voter rolls that are such a mess in so many states if it had been working so well they just wouldn't be that way and we wouldn't you know there was a great piece i think it was wisconsin who'd been members for years and their, and their records were just disastrous. So obviously it's not really working. If all else, any other That's criticism right. yeah, is not working. Okay, so we have our audience able to, we have a microphone somewhere and audience members. I would love if you would, please, if you're going to st- ask a question, stand up here and speak right in the microphone so that it goes out to our happy listeners. Um, and I don't know, I don't see a man's hand up. I think they're over. Oh, there goes somebody. Here we go. We have...
1: Hi, Catherine. Thank you. I have to say, first of all, this is just going into my third year of election security, and I don't know how you've done it all these years. I, I'm absolutely stunned. Like, hello, look what's going on. This is terrible, and
0: why this can't be just you know fixed tomorrow? And you say it's not going to
1: happen overnight, and I'm like, but why not? You know, it's to me, it's obvious. Anyway, back to my quick questions. One is if you can explain to me, I thought I'd heard somewhere that Connick was maybe also part of the management of our overseas military ballots. Um, I don't, and, and that just, if that doesn't send a dagger through people's hearts, I, I don't know what does. So, and I know I had another question for you. I'll think about it, okay. Sure, well, I'll, I'll, um, first I'll, I'll start off saying that when I started through the vote, I thought too that hey this will be a you know the 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 problems are apparent we should be able to make them known and things will be fixed and 13 years later (laughs) still here it takes time um as as far as uh, conics involvement with the management of overseas ballots yes sadly that is true they received a Blanket purchase order from the Department of Defense back in 2010 to manage the UOCAVA balloting, which is the the, the ballots that support military and overseas voters, uh, and they received um, the authorization to to de- programs in uh, about 10 states, and uh, and yes, it, 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 in some states it appears to be we, we there's so many layers. Of- you know, I'm, I I I feel fairly comfortable in saying that it's still in place in a few states, but I'm not entirely. Regardless, it happened for years and years, and and you're exactly right. Uh, it should send a shiver down the spine of every American to know that that was true. And a quick question. Okay, there we go. Oh, okay.
0: Hi, Catherine. I'm Cynthia Brugge. I was hoping you'd be here. I'd love to have seen you in person again. Uh, I have a question about whether there's been any collection of data of how much money, say for example, the state of Texas spends collectively on machines, fees to ERIC, maintenance of uh, machines, audits of machines, and then their participation as additional contract labor to help and during the election process, with all this being involved, it's got to be in millions or billions. I don't know. Have y'all done any data collection for that?
1: We have not. Uh, the data is out there to do to to, to make the kinds of um, reports that you refer to. I think that'd be a fine project. Um, I know in 2020 there, and we didn't we didn't do what I'm about to describe in 2020, but I know it was out there that looked at the a relative cost between uh, sending out a mail ballot and having uh, an election day where you have a, a staff polling place. And it was far more expensive to mail out ballots. And and, and that report came by way of um, a counter argument to groups that were out saying that one of the reasons that we should all move to mail ballots is because it's less expensive. But you know your your point is exactly right. This is an incredibly um, expensive process and it needs to be well managed end to end and, and, and clearly that's not happening. Okay, one more quick question.
0: Sorry, Hello Catherine, Carol Nichols. I watched 2000 Mules twice, it was an excellent documentary. What has been the reaction or follow up from law enforcement officials
1: uh, having reviewed the evidence? Well sadly uh, there's not been, in the jurisdictions where we conducted that evidence, uh, conducted that research, there has not been any forward motion uh, to use the evidence or to do any further investigations. Um, You know, in hindsight, we would have handled it very, very differently what we, when we started trying to share this evidence, we thought that the the appropriate path would have been to go to attorneys general and, and that level, uh, because of, and, and the FBI, we also shared the information with, um, because it was at that level, we we felt like what we were seeing was coordination uh, between uh, certain of these, you know, clearly you could see the 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 organized effort because of the devices that we were monitoring, which we don't really get into this in, in the movie or didn't, but devices that were involved in um, what appeared to be this frequency, this this outrageous frequency of Dropbox visits in in certain states, would then move on to other states and and exhibit the same type patterns. So we, we thought that this was something that should have been looked at at the highest possible level because it we believed suggested Rico um problems Rico level problems. Um, had we to do it all over again, we would have started with local sheriffs. And we would have been far more selective about the jurisdictions uh, in which we in which we focused. Um, we would have probably also, just for balance's sake, looked at um, jurisdictions that that maybe weren't so you know so hotly contested to see if the patterns stayed consistent there. Um, so we would have approached things a little differently in, in a number of respects. But the fact remains that around the 2020 data, it's it's still valid, and it still would, would, would be a great primer for any uh, law enforcement agency that wants to look at it in anticipation of what's coming in 2024. But, um, you know, beyond, beyond what we shared at, at state levels in legislatures that did uh, go on to uh, have great impact, we see states that are getting rid of their drop boxes entirely, um, which was a that was our whole that was the whole point of, of the research was we believe that this is the, now the weakest link in the election chain and it's going to be exploited. And, and that's certainly what, you know, what we feel like was born out of, of the work that we did. But um, but, you know, that's that's where we are with law enforcement, not where we'd like to be. But uh, nonetheless, it's true. Catherine
0: Engelbrecht, I want to tell you, this interview, an hour has raced by, I meant to say at the beginning, for all of our listeners, your website, truethevote.org, truethevote.org is a great resource, and people can go there, and they can read the, if you enjoy reading pleadings, litigation, which I do, you can read those things, but you can also (laughs) read, I want to commend you on the other projects you do. You are backing people who are being sued by this Odious organization, um, fight fair, whatever it's called, um, they, that is going after people. Fair fight, in the jo- right? Yeah, fair of the fight. Yeah. Um, so you're defending people who are trying to stand up and be involved as citizens in the election process. You're helping represent them because they are the left. Or the fair the fight group comes after them, and, and they don't have resources to defend themselves. Um, you have on your website a sheriff's toolkit. That was really, really good. Um, You have also, there's a lot of information about ERIC and what people can do about that, what they need to understand about it. So your website's full of information. And I wanna just, for all of our listeners, your organization is funded by Supporters, and so if people want to support your work, I mean, it's you know, it's a if you want to win this fight and have fair elections, you have to support people in the fight. So, people can make donations at your website again, TrueTheVote.org, and um, I just I can't even I just can't thank you enough for all that you do. The widespread your your work has, you are involved in also as litigation. We didn't even get to talk about today. Uh, You are just a warrior for fair elections, and I just want to thank you so very much for all you do. Yeah. Thank you
1: so much for giving me the opportunity to talk about
0: it. Okay, well thank you very much. And folks, I will tell you, I think we're past our time. Yes, that is Catherine Engelbrecht and this True the Vote your organization. I cannot urge you strongly enough to support groups like this. Go to vote.org. When you see all the litigation they do, the other things you're involved with, you uh, realize these are people are just, uh, they're in the fight to win it. And it's a beautiful and wonderful thing. So it's at TruthVote.org. And this show is America Can We Talk. If you missed any portion of this or you want to come back and listen again, you can listen to this interview at our website, which is AmericaCanWeTalk.org. Next week, one week from today, we have a gentleman joining us in the studio, Dr. Mark Fulmer. He wrote a, a book. That will keep you awake at night. Um, it is about uh, COVID, the source of COVID, and the ties to the Great Reset, and all of what's really happening behind the role of COVID and the COVID and the Wuhan virus. So uh, it'll be a great interview. He's got a book we'll be talking about. And just for everyone tuning in to America Can We Talk for today, I thank you so very much. I thank you for tuning in to America Can We Talk every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time.
1: Can we talk truth about America?